The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and that is a big cake. Can you see that? Check that baby out. Give you the little best view that we can when you see it on the inside and on the outside. If you're just joining us, we're in a series in Romans where we're talking about the ways that God uh, has rescued us or offers rescue to us, that he offers salvation, and that's a rescue. He rescues us from guilt, and he rescues us from work and he rescues us from religion, trying to please God in and of ourselves. Thank God, right? He rescues us from shame. He rescues us from strife and death. And today, uh, we're talking about sin, which is why we chose cake. Now, just go there with me for a second, okay? See, in talking about the rescue from sin, you know, we, we've had a different prop. And, the, and the, by the way, the point of the props that we've been using is to help us remember and to also make it as practical as we possibly can. Because Romans is a very dense book of theology. But it doesn't mean that the ideas have to stay dense. And what we're trying to do is bring these concepts and these ideas, we're trying to make them as simple and as memorable as possible so they can actually apply to our lives. You see, a lot of Christians access faith and they access religion in a way that is just knowledge. If it doesn't apply, what good is it? If it doesn't apply around the kitchen table, what good is it? And so, because we were talking about sin, I asked our team, I was saying, you know, we, we need the most decadent, indulgent, sinful-looking bit of food that we could possibly get up there. And who doesn't like cake? So Heather Potter, she volunteered to make us this outstanding cake, and I don't even think it has a name. Let's just call it the devil's cake. No, it's not the devil's cake because just because something's good, it doesn't mean it's not from God, right? And we, do, we tend to do that. We tend to think if it's good, God must not want me to enjoy it. We'll talk more about that later. But this cake has got at least four different kinds of chocolate. It's got a fudge, you know, the cake part is fudge cake. It's got white, you know, I thought that was cream cheese, but that's white chocolate on the inside. I don't know if you could see it. If we had a camera, we'd bring in the close-up. There's like little chocolate shavings. There's dark chocolate chips. 
There's hard parts of the frosting. There's little beaded parts. I've been looking at this for four services, all right? <laughs> I haven't touched it, not even in the back room, okay? There's something on here called ganache. I'm not sure what that is, but I know it's kryptonite for my wife because she always talks about it, right? When I bring her to, oh, this one's got ganache. I don't know. It's something Euro and I can't afford it. But how many of you, when I, you know, you see this cake, you're like, if you're offering it, cake in the conference room, I'll take a piece of that cake, please. Raise your hand. Let me see if that's you. Yeah, I want some cake. Yeah. How many want a big piece of cake? Biggest piece you'll give me, right? How many think they could eat all of that cake in one sitting? Oh, yeah. All right. God bless America. Wow. Okay. Now, by show of hands, how many of you see this cake and you're like, no, I'll have none. I'll have none. I made a resolution or maybe health-wise because it's got gluten and a whole lot of sugar. Okay. I'm just going to tell you, if you're one of those people around here in Northern Michigan, you know, you go to the restaurant and they'll go, well, you know, I got the sugar. All right. You never heard someone say that? Translation. They might say, well, you know, I got the diabetes. Right. All right. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying. Who's going to say health reasons or because I'm trying to find my stomach again or because of whatever, I'm not having cake. Just raise your hand. Nope, not me. Don't want any cake. It's okay. Be proud of that. That's cool, right? I'm sorry for you. I'll pray for you. Um, who would say, uh, I'd prefer pie. Pie's, pie's your kryptonite. Yeah, that's a couple of us. I would prefer pie, to be honest. Pie, pie is my cake. That's my kryptonite. Like really good pie. Don't make me one because I've had a few too many. But like really good pie and the crust part, that's the best. And the fruity pies are the better, like the berry pies, all of that. It's really, you know, crumble top. Are you getting hungry? Sorry. I, I am too, all right? I'm working here. Just hang with me. But like uh, Jim Gaffigan would say, pie really can't compete with cake, right? You remember that? Because if you put candles in a cake, it's somebody's birthday. If you put candles in a pie, someone's drunk in the kitchen, <laughs> Right? So we're talking about being rescued by sin, we're talking about cake, cake. And here's the reason why. First, I want to define sin before we jump into where we're going today in Romans. I want to define sin for us. And in, in, in choosing cake, it's to help us understand it better. Because if we understand it, then we can understand what God's rescuing us from, and we can also understand how we're supposed to interact with it, okay? So sin, by definition is simply this, any violation of God's law. So God's got a set of commands. It's called the Ten Commandments. God's got different things that he wants us to do, like love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we fail to keep God's command, it's a violation and it's a sin. Lying is a sin. Cheating is a sin. Lusting is a sin. Committing adultery is a sin. Stealing is a sin, right? But there's not just those blatant sins of commission or the sins I do on purpose. There's also sins of omission. The greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I fail to do that, to love God with everything I have, I sin. The second command that summarizes all the things is we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. When I'm selfish, when I'm not generous, when I ignore the needy person, the genuine needy person, and I go, no, I'm going to keep that for me. Even though I have two of those, I'm not going to give one away. I'm not going to love them the way I want to be loved. I'm going to choose to put myself first because I need to get ahead. That's sin. Sins of omission are the good things that I should do that I don't do. The scripture teaches us that we have a big problem is because we sin all the time. It's not just the blatant sins of commission, it's also the sins of omission, the things that I conveniently forget to do. 
right? Scripture also teaches us that we're born separated from God. Talked about that last week. We're born sinful. Just the very fact that you're a human being born a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. You started out with a check mark next to your name on the board. Sinful. Some of us have a hard time understanding this. But the very fact that you will die, that your body is not immortal, that is an offense to God. Did you know that? Our first parents were created perfect. And they were created good. And they were put in a perfect good place. And they were given access by God's grace to the tree of life. Meaning they could eat from that tree and never die. It would preserve them. But because of their sin, because they chose to disobey God and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing he told them that they couldn't have, can have everything else, be fruitful, be multiplied, be naked, perfect, 68 degrees here in the Eden, right? Enjoy everything you got, just not my tree. And the moment that they ate from the tree, their eyes were open, they were filled with shame. That's where the curse of sin and death came from. And all of their offspring, guess who their offspring are? You and me. You can check it scientifically. All human DNA can be tracked back to one man and one woman. So you can be, believe that we evolved from amoebas all you want, but science doesn't prove that. They just conveniently leave that out in public schools. So we have a sin problem. We were born sinful. We commit sins. We're sinful in our nature. We're separated from God. But there's good news. The good news is that we can be rescued from sin. Here's another way, because you might be saying, John, I still don't understand what that has to do with cake. Glad you asked. Remember where we went in Romans. The beginning of Romans, what it said is that our first parents and human beings in general have exchanged the truth about God for the lie. And we've chosen to worship the creation rather than the creator who's forever to be praised. Amen. What does that mean? That means instead of choosing to worship God, love God, serve God, find my ultimate satisfaction in God, I'm going to choose instead to find my satisfaction in creation. Instead of choosing to give God what God deserves, I'm going to follow my appetites and worship cake. Whatever your cake is. Maybe it's not cake for you. Maybe it's pie. Maybe it's three musketeers. I don't know. And just insert cake in this message for whatever it is that is intended to be a good thing, and you turned into a God thing. See, I like to think of sin like that. When good things become God things, that's a bad thing. Cake, good thing, right? But what if cake causes you to sin? Because instead of just taking a slice and then sharing it with my friends, I say, no, I'm going to eat all of it for breakfast alone in one sitting. That's not healthy. Children, I'm looking at you students, okay? Not good for the complexion, not good for the diabetes, not good for the whatever, okay? Calm down. Or I might say, you know what? I can't have cake. I can't have the ingredients in there. And since I can't have cake, you can't have cake. And you can't have cake, and no cake for you. No cake for any of you. No cake. Then I make cake a God thing. Or I choose not to share the cake. You're starving to death. You really like some cake. I got some cake. Would you agree I got a lot of cake? 
No, but I'm keeping it all for me. So when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. John Piper puts it this way. Sin is anything that I prefer to God. What could that be? That could be money. That could be sex. That could be power. That could be relationships. That could be reputation. That could be any variety of things. Anything that you prefer more than God is sin. But there's good news. Jesus can rescue us from sin and put us back into right relationship with God and right relationship with creation. Because I'm not anti-cake, as you can see. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. This is what Paul tells us about sin and the rescue. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Rescued from sin. I don't know if you noticed that. I actually took the time when I was studying this passage trying to unpack it and, and kind of sort through what I felt like God wanted us to think about this morning. Is Paul mentioned sin, sinning, or sinned 15 times in seven verses. 15 times in seven verses. You get the picture? That's more than twice a verse. He's talking about sin, sinning, or sin. So we're on to something with this whole sin and that we need to be rescued from sin. And very simply, what he paints is we can go Adam's way or we can choose Christ's way. And he's comparing these two men and the one single thing that came from them that impacted so many people. The doctrinal idea is the idea of federalism or that Adam represented us before God and Jesus can represent us before God. And you have to have both. You have to have both. You see, some of us don't like the idea that Adam's one act, his one sin infected us. You have to accept that or you can't have Jesus. So you have to buy the fact that Adam in the garden represented all of us and that you wouldn't have responded any different way because you wouldn't have. He was our first father. We're all the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. That's who we are. And the prototype of mankind was put there as a representative for you and me. And he chose to disobey God. And sin and death invaded. And all of us got infected. 
But God sent us this gracious gift of Jesus Christ also to be a representative. And if I receive him as a representative to offset the first representative, I can be rescued from sin. So in summary, this is what we see. Adam, our first father, Adam's one sin, the one single thing that he did before all the other sins infected this world, his one act of disobedience brought guilt, condemnation, and death. Guilt, condemnation, and death. So in other words, uh, let's pretend this is the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. It's cake. God says, that's my cake. You can have all these other cakes and all these pies and all these desserts and all these cookies and everything that the garden had, but don't eat from my cake. Really? I want this cake. Maybe God's holding out on me. Adam and Eve believe the lie. How does all sin start? It starts when we go, did God really say, and that's what the serpent in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 Serpent comes in and says to the woman, did God really say you can't eat of that? Did God? No, God's holding out on you. God knows that you'll be satisfied more with this cake than in obeying God and enjoying all those other cakes that he's given you. And then when we believe the lie, we choose it, and we're a sinner just like our father Adam. Well, that's what he did. He believed the lie. Eve took of the fruit, and she ate it and gave some to her husband. It was right there. And God saw it. And immediately their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. And so they ran and hid. And when God came in the cool of the day saying, where are you? Why are you hiding? I was ashamed, was the response. Who told you you were naked? What did you do? God knew. They ate of the tree. That brought guilt. It was a direct violation they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That brought condemnation. When you're guilty, there's a punishment. You're declared guilty. Now you're condemned. And the execution of that condemnation is death. That's what we all get. That was the result of one act of sin. It separated all of us from God. Now as a sidebar, and it's an important sidebar. Don't go to sleep on me. Right? Notice who he pins all this guilt, condemnation, and death on. The act of one man, Adam. Who ate the fruit first? One kid got it, the rest of you are cowards. Who ate the fruit first? Eve. Wait a second. This isn't fair. Now, this is theological. We're going deep here. We're going to take this sidebar just for a minute. Men, buckle up. Here we go. Eve did eat the fruit first. Who does God hold responsible? Adam. Who does he pin this on? Men, are you listening? I didn't make these rules. I'm not being mean. But I get to be a little bit mean because I'm, a, I'm an Adam too. And so are you. What did our first father do? He stood by and he watched. He was passive. He didn't take responsibility. Who was created first, Adam or Eve? Adam. Who was the command given to, Adam or Eve? Who was made a helper to this first person? Eve was. Here's the guy, created first, given the command. He passed it down. And in that moment, he stood by and watched. And so many of us are just like our daddy, men. We let her lead. We let her go first. One of those Christian stuff. You go. Oh, church, fine, it'll keep you happy. 
And we're just like our first father, Adam. I'm not trying to hurt you. I speak truth because I love you. And isn't it interesting that even though she took the fruit, who did God come looking for in the garden? He came looking for the man. Adam, where are you? It says he called out to the man. Now, I'm not being condescending. Ladies, you are just as responsible for your sin as a man is responsible for his sin. Don't get confused. But just so you understand what gospel theology looks like, okay, what biblical theology is, God created man and woman equal value before God. Jesus was the first women's rights activist, okay? He cares more about women's rights than women today. So it is not, we're not being condescending and say one's more important than the, uh, uh, than the other one. But we are saying that God made us equal value but different roles. And Christians celebrate the different roles. What society wants to do right now is want to say, no, they're equal in value and equal in roles. I'm sorry, we're not called to do that. There are certain things that a woman can do that a man cannot do. There are certain things that a man can do and should do and doesn't do and a woman cannot do. That's just how God made it. That's how we're wired, okay? I've seen five live births against my will. I cannot do that. So no matter what the public school says, no matter what politics try to say about, well, anything a man can do, a woman can do, uh-uh, bold-faced lie from the pit of hell. I've seen it. Science, have fun with that. And you can make, you can cut and have surgeries and do whatever you want. Sorry. And guess what? You can't have life without one of each. That's how God made it. So equal value, different roles. But back to my first point, men, are you listening? Are we listening? And the only reason that I, I'm trying to prevent a whole lot of pain, when dad finally wakes up and gets it right, the family's revolutionized. I see it over and over and over again. And when man, when the dad checks out and is too cool for school, when he absconds his responsibility and leaves them to their own devices, it's a whole lot of hell that happens to that family. And we pick up the pieces of their children for generations. So man up, shut up, show up, and let's follow Jesus is what I'm trying to say. End of mini sermon. So that Adam's one sin, that's what it brought. There's good news. Jesus, one act brought something else. Jesus, one act brought something else. His one act, what was his act? God sent him on a mission. To do what? To show us how to eat cake. To show us how to share cake. To show us that sometimes you need to restrict yourself from cake. He showed us how to live wise and to love well. He showed us what love looked like in the flesh. Right? Jesus went on a mission to show us how to not sin and how to love people that do sin. Jesus went on a mission to show us how to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor the way we love ourselves, to do it right. And then Jesus accomplished his mission, fulfilled it by climbing up on a cross and dying unjustly for all the times that you and I have sinned on purpose, sinned on accident, sinned just by being born. To pay for the sins of many. Jesus' one act brought forgiveness, righteousness, and life. That's how we're rescued from sin. Because he offset. That's how powerful his blood is. That's how powerful the sacrifice is. That's how powerful his love is. 
that his one act brings forgiveness to many. The same way Adam's sin brought guilt and condemnation and death to many, Jesus' one act brings forgiveness for many. And what comes with that? Righteousness. We already talked about this. If you receive Christ, you know why you're triumphant over sin? Because God can look at you, and because of Jesus, he can forget about the sins of the past, he can forget about your sins right now, and forget about the sins that he knows you're going to do tomorrow. And he looks at you, and instead of seeing a sinner, he sees righteousness. He sees Jesus. That's why the gospel's good. That's why the gospel's great. That's why gospel's the best. That's why it's a real rescue. It's not a, well, I'd rescued you, don't fall in the pool again. It's, no, I rescued you once for all. And that's why Jesus hung on a cross and said, it is finished. It's a good deal. Brings forgiveness, righteousness, and it brings real life. Now, where we're going in Romans, you're going to see in Romans part four, when we get there, Paul's going to start to talk to us about how this rescued from sin plays out practically. What it looks like to become more like Jesus Christ, to be freed from the slavery of what cake causes in my life. But if you don't believe that the rescue is possible, we can't even start working on the individual sins. You have to believe that it's possible first and that it's done positionally. I do want to give you one little preview, though, about how this life plays out. Because there's two mistakes, excuse me, two big mistakes that we make when it comes to sin. Now, stay with me because you might find yourself on one of these spectrums or I can, I'm warning you of two big mistakes that might happen in your life when you start thinking about rescued from sin. The two mistakes are legalism and liberalism. Legalism and liberalism. I'm going to explain what those mean to you. Legalism, that's when I focus entirely on God's justice, the fact that he's angry about sin, on his holiness and how pure he is and how impure I am. And his wrath, that God's angry about sin, all of that is true. But if I only focus there, something really, really, really bad happens. You see, the legalist believes, rightly so, that I'm wicked, that I was born wicked, that I'm born a sinner. And that's true. The problem is the legalist believes that creation is also wicked. I'm bad, creation's bad, that's trouble. Because if I'm bad and cake is bad, we're going to have a massive cake fest if we're not careful. And cake is bad and I'm bad and we don't want anybody to do that. So the legalist response to their own sinfulness and all of what they view as sinful in the world is they restrict themselves from everything. Some of you are going like this because you've been there. I had people between the services in tears because they were raised in it. Legalists think that they've got to make God happy by restricting themselves. It's almost like asceticism. God doesn't want me to have joy. God doesn't want me to be happy. So I'm not going to eat anything that I really like. I'm not going to drink anything that, you know, might have a little something in it. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to go to movies. I'm not going to play with cards. I'm not going to look at people. I'm going to have a bunker. It's going to be full of food and we're waiting for the zombie apocalypse. I don't know how I got there, but just go with me because... Because the problem with legalists is they don't know where the line is. They have to restrict themselves from everything. They can't handle cake. And so guess what? You can't handle cake either, and neither can you. No cake for the back row, no cake for anyone. In fact, don't even look at cake. Don't go to places that sell cake 
because they're evil too. They're probably all obese, and it's probably part of the devil's plan to, you know, take over the world, and they probably vote the wrong way, and so they just restrict themselves of everything. Legalists are giggling, or ex-legalists, you know what I'm talking about. We're recovering legalists, some of us. Seriously, don't wear jewelry, uh, uh, don't drink alcohol, don't smoke anything, and anyone that does that is messed up. They want to govern the way we dress. Here's, a, here's an example of this. I, I don't know if this makes any sense to the people in the room that are just discovering Christ. But seriously, some people, if, if they have that view that I'm bad and everything in the world's bad, i got to restrict myself from everything. So I'm a kid growing up in Haiti. I'm over at my friend's house, right? And uh, there's all types of different churches that have missionaries in Haiti during the 80s. And, and we were kind of a middle of the road. But there were some, there was like this legalist set of missionaries that was coming to his house. Now, his house was really cool because it's the Caribbean, it's the tropics, and he had a swimming pool. Awesome, right? We were done swimming, and we were up in his room in the upstairs overlooking the pool doing something really sinful. We were playing video games, right? It was probably something like Pong. I don't even know if you remember that, right? Really worldly. Boop. Okay, so we're playing that game, and then truck pulls up with a whole bunch of missionary kids from a legalist sect up in the mountains, and he goes, oh, no, 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 watch this, watch this, this is crazy, and we looked out the window, and we saw seven or eight, you know, kids, elementary up to teenager, all these guys wearing long blue jeans, all, you know, tucked in with a long sleeve white shirt that wasn't even rolled up, buttoned up all the way up to here with t-shirts underneath, okay, So we've got layers of clothing in the equatorial sun. They put on their masks, their snorkels, their flippers, and they jumped in the swimming pool. And that's how they swam that day. And I was like, oh, what's the matter? They forget their swimming trunks? They're like, no. No, they don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I'm like, really? Sleeves all the way down to there? Men, apparently elbow cleavage just drives the ladies wild. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Don't worry about no plumber's crack. We're talking about that. So I'm watching this, and it's ridiculous, and we're laughing. But after 30 minutes, Dad comes out, blows a whistle. All these guys get out, and they go inside. And then the girls come out. And guess what the girls are dressed in? Long dresses, denim skirts, long sleeve shirts, all buttoned up to here, hair still in the bun. And they pick up the mask and the snorkel and the flippers, and they go swimming. No mixed bathing. This is the recovering legalist section right over here. Yeah. You're welcome. The most ridiculous thing I ever saw. And you see, this is what happens with legalists. They don't present joy. They don't present life. God's mean. God's angry. You're bad. Don't enjoy anything. When really what they do is they choose to judge you for your sin and ignore their own. But it's all about restricting gives a horrible commercial for the gospel of Jesus Christ that came to bring us life. Well, here's the other mistake, is the other end of the spectrum, liberalism. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about liberal theology. What this says is I'm good. I reject the fact that I inherited any sin. I mean, I mean, I do some bad things, but hey, overall, I'm good. And you know what? People are good. I choose to see the good in people. And I'm not talking about being a pessimist or an optimist, but they choose to think that humans are generally good and that creation's good. And if Jesus did all that hard work about dying on a cross, I'm good, creation's good, and now he says I'm good, now I really feel good. 
So what a liberal theologian does, or a liberal Christian, what liberalism in theology does, is now I decide I'm going to indulge myself. Oh, cake? Yay. I'll have all of it whenever I want, all the time, even if it's destroying me and destroying other people. So the legalist restricts, the liberal says, give me everything. I'll drink what I want, eat what I want, smoke what I want, have sex when I want, when I want, how often I want, and who cares? This is an offense to God. Jesus died on the cross because of sin. We don't just violate whenever and however and in whatever manner we want. That's taking the cross of Christ and dragging it through the mud. And it causes destruction. And we run into that all the time in church. Now, hear me very carefully. There's a balance. And the balance is to live the gospel. You see, the legalist thinks, I'm bad, creation's bad, everything's bad, restrict. The liberal says, I'm good, creation's good, Jesus is good, do whatever I want. Gospel says, I'm wicked, but creation's good. But because I'm rescued by Christ, I can live wisely. I can live wisely. That gets messy. That's what we're trying to do with the tabernacle. We're trying to live wisely. And that's hard because we all have to make decisions about what we're going to do with cake in our lives. And there's some things that God says, no, and I have to honor that. But there's some things like cake that God says, be wise. How about just one slice and how about you share it? Oh, you can't have cake? Good. Don't have cake. But just because you can't have cake doesn't mean he can't have cake. See, legalists love to make their legalism your legalism. Because if they're not going to be happy, they don't want you to be happy. They don't want anybody to be happy. And they have to control it. That's sin. By the same token, liberal. I can eat cake. Why don't you eat cake? Well, you don't understand. He can't handle cake. Why are you trying to force feed cake on him? He doesn't need cake, doesn't want cake, didn't grow up with cake. Well, you ought to eat cake. I don't want cake, bro. Live wisely. Let me make this practical for us with just a couple of easy issues. I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not trying to step on any toes, but let's just go there. Let's talk about alcohol, right? What a legalist does with alcohol, a legalist says uh, that alcoholism causes a lot of problems. I can't handle alcohol. I don't think anyone should drink alcohol. In fact, I see a lot of legalists try to do some theological gymnastics to convince themselves that Jesus didn't drink alcohol. They got a problem because Jesus did. And it was real alcohol. And it wasn't because Jesus, the son of God who created everything, couldn't find clean water. <laughs> Jesus drank alcohol, but Jesus never got drunk. Scripture says, do not get drunk on wine. It also says, God gave wine to gladden the hearts of men. What does that mean? Live wise. Some people that call our church home and our members, even some members of our staff, don't drink alcohol because they can't drink alcohol. Because if they drink a little bit of alcohol, they got to drink a lot of bit of alcohol. If they start, they got to finish the entire case and your case and drive to the store drunk to buy another case. That's a problem. That's sin. So they have to have a personal legalism and say, I'm not going to drink alcohol. But I know these people, they will fight you for your freedom to do it. See, that's living wise. That's it. And I don't care if it's genetics. I don't care if I, whatever, but someone just says, I can't do it. Then they can't do it. I'm not going to force it on them. But if they can in moderation, then good for you. We got other people that's, I can drink alcohol. I get it. 
but I'm not going to force you to, and I'm not going to judge you because you don't, and, I'm, and this person's not going to judge you because you do. When it becomes a problem is when we start making excuses for our behavior, right? Counseled ladies before that are like, yeah, he abuses me verbally and sometimes physically, but only when he's drunk. It's only when he's drunk. Oh, so he doesn't love you. No, he loves me. He, he only does that when he's drunk. Oh, then he doesn't love you. He, he, he loves alcohol more than you. No, 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 no. It's just when he's drunk. And you're like fighting against insanity. And you're talking to the guy. Oh, I love her. She knows I love her, but I just call her horrible names when I'm drunk. You're an idiot. We need to go Old Testament on you, and I wish we could. And maybe we still will. I don't know. Because if you love alcohol to that level, and it causes you to hurt... You're a problem, and we got a program for you, and we want to help. And I probably shouldn't say this, but I know some other people that, man, they need a drink. <laughs> Not a lot of drink, just a little something, because they're just so wound up. Calm down. I hope we don't get in trouble for that, but maybe we will. <laughs> I just want to be an equal opportunity offender in this moment. Let's talk about sex. God created sex for our joy, for our joy. And he said, this is how it's for our joy and for your good and for his glory. When it happens in marriage between a man and a woman, covenant marriage, man and woman. You want to know where the line is? That's the line. What about sex before marriage? Nope. What about sex outside of marriage? Nope. What about same-sex marriage? Nope. What about sex that's not same-sex marriage, but it's just, no. Homosexual sex, premarital sex, mistress, adulterous affair. No. Within the confines of marriage, cake. <laughs> Outside of there, sin. I didn't make the rules. You have to live wisely. And young people, if you want to enjoy that gift from God, you have to keep it in that context. Be picky and be patient. And it'll be for your joy. Do it not, pay the consequence. Just like, yeah, cake. And its context is good. And, and God gives us these things because he loves us. You know? Sometimes chocolate is good. You ever notice when you're stressed out and you need chocolate? Ladies, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and not just ladies, some men too. I don't want to be sexist here. But chocolate, dessert, cake, pie, I'm stressed. Give me something to put in my mouth. Why does that happen? Well, I mean, if you look at it, stressed is desserts spelled backwards. <gasps> Boom, blew your mind. Look it up. Some of you are writing it down right now. You're like, I don't really. Hurry up and finish so we can finish this sermon. Okay. See, I'm right. Okay. Paul sums this up like this. He sums it up by pointing out that we have two fathers. 1 Corinthians, verse 15, he says, The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. He's basically saying there are two Adams. The first Adam, whose one sin brought death to many. And the second Adam, Christ, brings life to many. You have two fathers to choose from. 
You can be a son of Adam. Continue to be a son of Adam and be caught in sin. A slave to cake. Guilt, condemnation, death. That's what you get. Or you can choose, regardless of circumstances, to receive the gift of life from Jesus Christ, who brings us into a relationship with our Father God. Father Adam, Father God. If I receive Christ, forgiveness, righteousness, life. So as we end the message, the choice is, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? You're going to call Adam daddy or you're going to choose to call God your daddy? That can only happen through Jesus Christ. You can be rescued from sin and we can learn together to live wisely. And you know what? We're not going to be perfect at it. Sometimes we're going to err on the side of legalism. Sometimes we're going to err on the side of liberalism. But you know what? That's why Jesus died. To give us those guardrails so we can strike the ball right down the middle of the fairway and we could learn to live the gospel. He rescued us from sin. He rescues us through Christ. He says, you know what? There is a way to have your cake and eat it too. There's a way. There's a way. Learning to live wisely. We hope you'll stay with us because we want to help you on that journey. That's where we're going in this book and this study. But who's your daddy this morning? That's a question. You know, Jesus' name, it means he will save his people from their sins. Paraphrase for our thing, Jesus' name means rescued from sin. He will rescue us. That's what his name means. Would you bow your heads? Because I want to ask you one more question, and that is, what's God saying to you? You know, I ask it all the time, and it's, it's not meant just to be a transition. It's really, I, you want to get the most out of a, a service? Ask that question, I dare you. God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me this morning? What do you want me to do about it? I don't claim to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm done saying what he told me to say. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll give us courage to hear your voice, that we'll listen, and that we'll respond. God, I pray that you'll meet us in the middle of that. And God, for your glory and our joy. For those people here that don't know you, I pray that they would make a decision to follow Christ for the first time today so they can be rescued from sin, from the condemnation and death that comes with that. And God, for those of us that are followers of you, God, I pray that you would rescue us from sin, from the sin of legalism and the sin of liberalism, and that instead we would choose the gospel. And you would teach us to live wisely. That's a tall order, God, but we know with the help of the Holy Spirit that that can be done. God, we love you. Thank you for being our daddy. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray.